Um, Tonight we're going to be continuing our series in the parables. Tonight we're going to be thinking about this question, what do you need from God? I wonder how you'd answer that question. What do you need from God? I was reading an online blog in the past week or so by a woman by the name of Greta Christina. It was titled... Six unlikely developments that could convince this atheist to believe in God. See, what Christina says that she needs from God is just better evidence of his existence. She was saying, God hasn't provided any good evidence that he exists. If God did, then she'd believe, but because he hasn't, she doesn't believe. And then she gives a list of things that she thinks would persuade her that God is real. Not necessarily that God was good or that he was worth worshipping, but simply that he, she, it, or they existed. But I wonder if you think something similar. Maybe you think, I'm open to God, but you're just not persuaded that God exists. You think, I'm open, but I would change my mind if he just... Well, what? What would put? What do you think that you need from God? Well, we've been looking at some of Jesus' parables this year over the last few weeks. And uh, today, in that parable that uh, Reese read for us, Jesus tells a story... It includes a man who, at least at one point, he thinks like that. He's a man who has some brothers who he thinks they just they will need better evidence in order to repent. Jesus says, that's not actually the problem. That's not what they need. Now, our parable, it's known as the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Um, It's found in in Luke chapter 16. But before we get into it, I want to quickly try and give you the context of this parable. So the context is that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus tells his disciples that he, he says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to be killed. And he says, after that, he's going to rise again. And then so in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, we see that when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to be killed. And on his way to Jerusalem, he's passing through various different towns and he's teaching the people. He's teaching them in stories called parables. That's kind of the broad context of what he's doing. But the more specific context in Luke chapter 16 is that he is confronting and warning this group of the kind of religious Jews, the law-keeping guys at the time, the Pharisees. He's confronting them about money, actually. He is uh, warning them about their hard hearts and their love for wealth and their desires for things over and above God. So for those of you who were here last week, we looked at uh, Luke chapter 15, a story where you've got a, a son who actually, he, he demands his, 
inheritance from his father. And he then goes out and he squanders that wealth. Then at the start of chapter 16, you get another story from Jesus, a story about a man who misuses his master's possessions. He's, he's looking after the kind of business and the master comes back and says, he hears that he's been misusing the funds and he says, I want you to give an account. And this man, realising he's only got a short amount of time left in his job, he says, well, he decides, I know what I'll do. I'll use this short amount of time that I've got left and I'll pre- prepare for life after that. And so he cancels our people's debts. Some people owe the master 100 denarii. So make it, make it 50. Other ones, make it 80. And so he actually um, helps people to save money so that he wins friends for himself. And that gets, and, and the master comes back. He actually commends this guy for his shrewdness. And then you get the big point of Jesus says. He says, I tell you, Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Then verse 11, he says, If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? If you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No Servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So do you see? Everything that we have now is online from God. And we're supposed to use it wisely now for the sake of eternity. It says what we value now will actually show our heart. And Jesus says you can't serve both God and money. Can't do it. But the Pharisees, they they kind of mock Jesus and they ridicule him. Jesus says you can't serve God and money, but they think we can. They think we're fine, we're descendants of Abraham. They're happy to justify themselves. And then Jesus says, the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things. They ridiculed him and they said to him, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So it's to that context, it's to men who love money, who don't care about other people, his hearts are hard. They don't want to listen to what God says. Jesus tells this next parable. It's a story about two men. It's two men from contrasting situations and, and they end up, the situations actually end up greatly reversed. So let's, let's have a look at, at Luke 16 verse 19. It says, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed and with he decided to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. 
We've got two men. One of them's got everything. One of them's got nothing. See, one of them, he's clothed in purple and fine linen. Now, purple was a really expensive dye at the time. So you're wearing purple. That was kind of like royalty. You have to be really rich to be able to spend that. And not only was he wealthy, like we see there, that he feasted sumptuously every day. And obviously he's got a pretty impressive house. He's got a big gate out the front. He is living life in luxury. He's a wealthy man. But what does he do with that wealth? He spends it on himself. He is completely self-absorbed. There's another man. This man's given a name, the name Lazarus. The name Lazarus actually means the one whom God helps. You wouldn't guess that at first glance, at this man. He has nothing. His life is really hard, actually. For a start, it seems like he's probably paralysed. What do you say? Can't walk. It says he was laid at this man's gate. So he didn't get there by himself. He's, he's probably disabled. He's poor. He has nothing, not even food. You've got this man who's feasting sumptuously every day, and then Lazarus, he's just longing for something to eat. Anything, just even scraps that would fall from the rich man's table would have meant the world to him. He's covered in sores, he's open wounds, and which even the dogs came and licked. Now, if you were a Pharisee and you were listening to this story, you'd think you would think the first man is blessed by God. God's obviously pleased with him. God's blessed him abundantly. It's a sign of God's favour. And the second guy, Lazarus, you'd probably think, well, he's been cursed by God. That's probably what they would have thought. You would have thought, this first guy, he's a somebody. Lazarus is a nobody. Except that Lazarus is not a nobody. He's a man created in the image of God. He has value and dignity and worth, but the rich man ignores him completely. The rich man treats him like a He can't find it in his heart to share what God's given him for the sake of those around him who are in need. Namely Lazarus, who obviously has needs. See, do Lazarus' needs provoke this rich man into action? Do they elicit his mercy and compassion? No. And that is the kind of heart that is abominable to God. 1 John chapter 3, verse 17 says, If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Does this man do what Jesus warned that we ought to do in Luke 16, verse 9. He says, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails you, 
they may receive you into eternal dwellings. Does he do that? No. Because you can't serve two masters. And when wealth is your master and not God, all you can see is yourself. And what is there that would change your heart to do otherwise? If your heart's hardened. See, this rich man's heart, it's hardened and it's callous towards Lazarus. Even the dogs will show mercy and, and seek to um, give Lazarus relief by licking his sword, but not this rich man. His God is his wealth. His God is himself. And his wealth does fail. See, verse 22, death comes to both these men. It says, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in his flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus, Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. See, death comes to both men. As it comes to all of us, it will come to all of us. And we see in this story that death changes everything. The rich man who seemingly has everything winds up with nothing. Lazarus who seemingly has nothing winds up with everything. The rich man who seems like a somebody, he actually ends up a nobody. He doesn't even get a name in this story. But Lazarus, who seems like a nobody, well, he gets a name because he dies and he's carried by the angels to Abraham's side. He's in heaven. And everyone in heaven has a name. See, this parable paints a really vivid picture of life after death, of heaven and of hell. One place being comfort and one place being torment and anguish. Now many people don't like the idea of hell. I mean, it makes us uncomfortable to even think about it. But for Jesus, the hell is a reality. And Jesus actually talks about hell more than anyone else in all of Scripture. More than anyone else combined, actually. And, and many people scoff at the idea of there being a hell. But Jesus talks about it because he loves people, and it's no joke. That's why he tells the story out of love. He wants to warn people of the reality of hell. It's, it's no joke for Jesus, it's no joke for this man who ends up there. Listen to the language again. He says, In Hades, being in torment. He's in torment. He lifted up his eyes, saw Abraham far off, and Lazarus at his side, and he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip 
the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm in anguish in this one. So this rich man's presence in hell, it's, it's unbearable for him. It's unrelenting. And the irony of what is going on here, he wants Lazarus to show him some mercy. He who totally ignored Lazarus in his need. The rich man didn't have any mercy on Lazarus. Why, why should Lazarus have mercy on him? See, he had a chance to be merciful, but he wasn't. And now, Lazarus is not coming. So even now, Lazarus treats... Sorry, even now the rich man treats Lazarus like a nobody. He treats him like a servant. Father Abraham, send Lazarus here to serve me. doesn't even talk to Lazarus. Lazarus is right there standing next to Abraham at his side. He still can't even find it to talk to Abraham. After Lazarus. He treats him like a servant. He treats him as someone to come and serve his needs. Now, a couple of things to notice here. Firstly, it seems like he's a Jew. See, he's descended from Abraham. He identifies Abraham as his father. Yet he's in Hades. That would be scandalous to the Pharisees that Jesus was speaking to. See, they boasted about being right with God because Abraham was their father. They were Jewish by birth. But you don't get right with God by birth. But also notice, there's no repentance in hell. See, the rich guy, he doesn't say, look, Lazarus, I'm really sorry for how I treated you. I'm sorry for how I ignored your plight every day. I ignored your obvious needs as you lay outside my gate while I lived it up in luxury. I'm sorry about that. He doesn't say that. There's none of that here. It's, hey, Abraham, send Lazarus to help here, to help me. And that is why hell is so hellish. There's no love in hell. There's no repentance. There's no forgiveness. There's no friendship. People just go on forever selfishly living unrepentantly. They're living in a place that's separated from God and from all the good things that God gives. Verse 25, it says, Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he's comforted here, and you are in anguish. He's received his good things. Now there's no good things. Just unrelenting torments and anguish and agony. It's hell. And it's permanent. So verse 26 says, Besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. 
See, there's no getting out of hell. There's no purgatory. There's no rehabilitation. There's no possibility for parole. There's a clear boundary and there's no crossing it. There's a great chasm. It says there's no way that Lazarus is going from here back to you. He can't. And why would he want to? It says you're stuck there without relief. You are where you ought to be. You didn't want God as your master. And heaven is a place where God is master. Now, friends, I hope you can see here. This life is the only chance that we get. There's no second chance. Our future is determined by the choices that we make now. The choices that we make now have consequences that are permanent and eternal. And living now, or living for now, is foolish in the light of eternity. It's foolish. This rich guy is in hell, and that's dumb. Any chance of him leaving is gone. But if this guy has anything worth, worth praising, it's this. Verse 27. He said, and I beg you, Father, to send him, Lazarus, to my father's house. For I have five brothers, so that they may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. You see, the rich man, he seems to conclude that his brothers are also living in such a way that they're destined to join him. And he doesn't want that. How could he? But he says, surely what they need, though, is some extra special revelation. Just send Lazarus back to them. Then they will repent. Well, not according to Jesus. Verse 29. Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham. If someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Jesus says that his brothers have everything that they need already in God's word. He says if they don't believe that, then some extra special sign is still not going to convince them. See, because the reason that people don't believe is not because of lack of information. That's not the problem. The problem is that people don't want to listen to God. So when you don't want to listen to God, no matter what God says, that's not going to change you. No amount of God speaking to you is going to change the fact you don't want to listen to God. People might say that if God just does this, then they'll listen to him. But God says they won't. 
you know, um, I reckon we all know that we ought to love each other. Do you think if God just wrote in the sky that we ought to love each other, that that would make the difference? See, we all know that love is a good thing. We all know we ought to love each other, yet we don't do it. Why? Well, it's not because of lack of information. It's because our hearts are hard. And often we think that if we just give people a program, we just educate them, then that will change people. Our problem is not our lack of information. See, we have everything that we already need in God's Word. We just need to listen to what He says. Jesus says, even if they get extra evidence, they won't listen to it. If their hearts are hard, they'll just find more ways to justify ignoring what's true. See, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 3, it says that we were, were dead in our transgressions and sins. We actually need God to make us alive. We actually need God to shine in our hearts to enable us to see. Because left to ourselves, we'll just refuse to see what's clearly there. Because there there was a man who came back from the dead. He didn't just come back from the dead. He was also a man who carved a storm. He walked on water. He healed the sick and the diseased. He fed a few thousand people with just some loaves of bread and some fish. He fulfilled everything that was written about him beforehand, centuries in advance, in in Moses and the prophets. He fulfilled that he would come and be rejected and be killed and on the third day be raised from the dead. He even brought a man back to life who coincidentally was also named Lazarus. Different Lazarus, but did that cause people to repent? No. It just made them more upset. The fact that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead was one of the things that actually provoked the religious leaders into wanting to kill Jesus. See, what would people actually need to see that Jesus hasn't already done? What do we really need from God? Our problem is our hearts. We need God to soften our hearts so that we want to listen to him. The question is, will you listen to God's word? His word that points us to Jesus. Because Jesus, unlike the rich man in this story, he gave up the treasures and comforts of heaven. He came to suffer anguish and torment of being separated from his father. Also that we, in our desperate broken state, could share in the riches of heaven. We could be accepted into God's family. 
And there are thousands of people on campus here at Latrobe who have the chance right now, while they're still alive, to listen to Moses and the prophets. They have the chance to listen to God's word. Now is the only chance that they'll have. So they won't be saying, oh, sorry, God, you really should have made yourself clearer. God will say, I did make myself clear. Every Tuesday on campus at Latrobe, I made myself clear as the CU opened up my word. So I don't know if you thought about this, why do we preach God's word here on campus every Tuesday? Because that's what people need. Maybe you think, that's just a bit boring, opening up God's word, listening to Moses the prophets, listening to the scriptures. I mean, why not just do something a bit more miraculous and a bit more exciting? That'll impress people. That'll convince people. Why don't we do some healing services? Will that really convince people? Not according to Jesus. See, our campus it needs to hear God's word proclaimed. And Jesus thinks that is sufficient for belief. See, God's word actually has in it the very power that created the universe from nothing. It has in it the very power that will transform our hard hearts that are opposed to him. See, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, 24, it says, Jews demand signs. Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. The stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. God's word is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes. Now surely, just, just, just to finish, surely we can't be like the rich man in this story. You might not think about it, but we actually have great treasures. We have the treasure of God's word, the gospel, the message of Jesus that people actually desperately need to hear. We have that. How can we hold on to it for ourselves and not share it with those people on our campus who need to hear it? We can't. And we mustn't. But will we listen to God as he tells us? That's what we need to do. Will we listen as he tells us to proclaim his word and that by hearing that people will be convinced that they'll repent? Well, I pray that he would soften our hearts so that we'd listen and respond to what we know we ought to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's sobering to hear you speak of what awaits those who won't listen to you. And Father, we know that we need you to speak to us 
to work in our hearts to change us so that we can see that what you've done is enough. That we already have everything we need from you in Jesus. We pray that you'd help us to take this great message and preach it to the brothers out there while they're still alive, while they still have time to hear it. Because this is the only chance that we'll get. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.